on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Adam is such a cool dude. You know, that's a bad boy. I tell everybody. He's the best commissioner. He's my friend, but he's a bad boy. The take line bump is real, folks. Two Distant Strangers and take line guest Trayvon Free wins the Oscar for Best Short. Super League meets Kryptonite. As the European Super League falls apart in the span of 48 hours, Marvel Cinematic Universe meet the NBA. Disney will weave elements from an original MCU story into an NBA telecast. And Lisa Borders, the former president of the WNBA, joins us. It's take line right now. I'm Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go! So, Renee, uh, last week we covered the European Super League, yeah. uh, uh, the news of which broke over the weekend and became just a, a world-dominating story as the biggest... Uh, club soccer teams in Europe plan to break away from their domestic leagues, from the Champions League, and form their own uh, competitor, essentially, to the Champions League in a closed system with no relegation, invite only. Uh, well, that lasted about two days. Uh, what? <laughs> and the, what? Uh, the, the immense backlash to this from pundits, from ex-players, from current players, from the coaches of the teams, from the fans, led to a a, a chipping away of these teams as uh, various, uh, started with mainly the EPL team, started to pull out, and now uh, what we have is a dead Super League. It's done. It's done. That fast. Th- it was It was that <laughs> fast, Renee. So uh, it, it started with Fans protesting outside of uh, some of the arenas. Chelsea fans were out uh, protesting outside the stadium so that the players' buses couldn't get to the stadium. Wow. Uh, fans took down their Liverpool banners from the seats above Anfield, which is where Liverpool play. Uh, then you had Pep Guardiola, who is the uh, legendary coach of Manchester City. He led them to uh, their first titles, and he led Barcelona to like arguably the greatest uh, era of soccer, perhaps that professional soccer has ever seen. Uh, he said, uh, "It is not sport where relation where the relation between effort and success does not exist." Basically, saying, you know, there needs to be a, a result at the end, and if you lose and you st- and you keep on losing and you stay in the league despite that, that's not really sport. Side note, Jason. I mean, did he kind of take shots at America? I don't know, but that's our sport. I'm just saying, like at the end of the day, all of our leagues function that way. So that's a great. Uh, detail in this because anecdotally just reading some of the coverage and seeing what fans are are talking about whether it's Mm -hmm. you know on reddit and online and different places so the real movers and shakers behind this were real madrid juventus 
uh, Real Madrid, Flo Perez, uh, the president of that team, was a, was the, the real person like driving this. So by all reports, was really driving it. Um, the chairman of Juventus also really driving it. That said, most of the blame mm-hmm. is being levied against the American owners of Manchester uh, United, the Glazers, of Arsenal, oh. Stan Kroenke, uh, because there is this... There is this perception that the American owners, and it's and it's true, the American owners hate relegation because they don't understand it coming from our system, where yeah, you know, no matter what, you stay in the league. We don't drop the they didn't drop the Knicks into the G League. Yeah, uh, there is this perception that they are the primary ones who who want to mm. do away with relegation. So American owners are really coming in for a, a perhaps disproportionate amount of blame, considering that a lot of the European. Uh, people behind this are are not being blamed in the same way for wanting to get rid of relegation. So very interesting. So American greed is what kind of is going towards how the Super League became a thing. But but what happened to the money? I mean, I like I remember okay, that there were question. banks involved. There was money involved. Where's the money? Okay, so great question. So at <laughs> at this moment, right, everyone has pulled out except I believe Real Madrid. Barcelona and Juventus. So they have not announced anything. All the other teams have pulled out. Arsenal made an apology. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, there was, you know, like a, a lot of these teams have basically apologized for what they did. Now, it seems as if this is this has been reported. Uh, there's nothing concrete on it because no one knows the actual financial deal that had underpinned this, right? But it seems uh-huh. as if the three teams that have remained in could possibly take go and uh, file suit against the teams that left for breaking oh this trust. Oh my god! That, no so way. That is, so that has been talked about as a possibility, as a, as as and potentially a way maybe to force them back because Flo Perez, again the, the the chairman of of Real Madrid, has said the Super League is not dead. He has insisted it's not dead. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep doing it. Now, how would you get these teams back in? Perhaps could it be perhaps? by uh, suing them back in because mm. they signed whatever deal, uh, mysterious yeah. deals that if they you signed. Sign an they agreement, were- yeah, you can't just rip it up once your name is signed on an agreement. Yeah, I could see, I mean, wow. So they may now be in breach of whatever it is they signed. And uh, the leagues which they these teams uh, attempted to leave could also, potentially could also, Enact retribution against these teams, either That's by. That's what I was uh, going to say. I was going to ask because imagine going back. I just think like, all right, imagine if you were the teams and you're like, dun dun dun, we're the Super League, we're leaving you behind, peace right? losers, and then everything crumbles, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk about coming back <laughs> if that's right. okay with you. So UEFA, uh, the uh, governing body of European soccer, is. Uh, reportedly exploring sanctions or fines against these teams that attempted to leave. Uh, It is thought that the Premier League, which is the top flight of football in England, is going to in some way financially punish uh, Manchester City, Manchester United, Tottenham, and Arsenal, the teams that attempted to leave. Uh, So there could be further... Uh, further consequences for this attempted coup of, huh. of European club soccer. So now that makes me, this is tricky waters that, is it UEFA you said? Yes, UEFA. 
UEFA and the, and the Premier some... and and the FA the uh, the and the governing okay, body that runs English soccer as well. Yeah, all of the above. This is some tread lightly water because you got to remember on one side of it. Right. I'm talking about the group that that, that tried to leave on one side. You have the Super League group that's probably about to sue you because you just breached the whole contract that you signed. Yes. On the other side of things, you have a whole organization, a Premier League that is going to maybe fine you, do something to you when you come back. So those teams that are kind of stuck in the middle, it's almost like you might go back to the Super League because you're not even welcomed in the you. They want you back in the Premier League, but they want to slap you when you come back too. So it's like... Do, like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack there. That's correct. Now, there's another aspect of this, uh, which, oh uh, which we need to talk about, which is the fan response, right? I, yeah. You know, some people on, especially American fans, uh, were saying something to the effect of like, oh, I wish American fans would protest when their team tries to do something like this. Like, imagine if uh, Seattle fans would have done this when they yeah. when the NBA uh, moved uh, the Thunder, formerly the Sonics, from Seattle to Oklahoma City. Now, that's a double-edged sword. Now, European fans, soccer fans in general, are just a lot more lit and aggressive and oh, crazy no and engaged question. to a level that is it just seems insane to us. And I, I would... I would respectfully say, because I think some fans were mad at me when I like uh, said something like this on Twitter, that a lot of the times the kind of like crazy engagement of European soccer fans, a lot of times it's kind of a negative. This time it was, I would say, a positive. But like, here's a for instance. When Wayne Rooney, who was the uh, kind of creative star of Manchester United in the early 2000s, the uh, second decade of the, of the 2000s, there was a point where he was considering changing teams to Manchester City, to the Crosstown rival, which would have been a big deal. Like, two dozen men in ski masks showed up at his house, like at his what? gate, basically to be like, we will kill you if you do it. Wow. And he didn't do it. Like, and so that is a thing, like m more recently, uh, I believe it was soccer team Marseille. They have been doing poorly and their fans like set the training ground on fire. Like what? the fans in Europe go to a different level level like they do stuff that is way 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 like you know over here we burn a jersey over there they're yeah. like we'll burn your training ground like that is it's just a different level of engagement and and intensity than we have here so like it's like, a that's different form it's a different no, formulation for crazy. teams yeah, yeah and that's crazy because so that's why I call it a blessing. Like sports has blessed yeah. me to get cultured. I played overseas for 10 years. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually have said this many times and not the bad version that you're talking about. Yeah. But I would love if a fan loved my team so much that they wanted to punch somebody in the face that was an imposing <laughs> fan because right. their fandom was so strong that they're not going to yeah. let you talk about their team. Like that type of passion for a team. I used to always say when we were overseas because, you know, we we would you can play for like if people don't know the big teams they have all kinds of sports they have soccer they have a sports team like Fenerbahce they're a soccer yeah. team they're a basketball team women's yes. basketball team so we I've seen those games I'm jealous of that type of fandom like we don't even have it in America at all like whoever you think are the craziest sports fans in America that's probably a more mild sports fandom when it comes to Europe soccer I'm jealous of that I'm just going to throw it out there like imagine being a player 
it works both ways. I know it's a double-edged sword because they love you and then they hate you too yes. when you don't do well. So I, I know that there's the double-edged sword, but I'm going to look at the positive side of it. And I love how passionate these fans are about I mean, their sport. They I mean, are it's crazy. nuts. Yeah, Beshitash, they got a basketball team as well. That's how yes. I know. So I played in Turkey, um, which is it's big there. And I played in, in all these different countries. So I've seen the crazy, I've been to the craziest of crazy games and like where they what will throw like? chairs. What was, yeah, what oh. was it like? Tell me, yeah, like what was the intensity like? Listen, so this is a basketball game that I, I saw one time. They were throwing things on the court. Like the fans don't have that type of restraint that they're like, oh, this is against the rules. Maybe I shouldn't do right? it. No, <laughs> if they don't like something that happens, yes. they will pick up whatever's next to them. Like I have this grunchy. They would pick it up and they would just throw it on the court. <laughs> they're mad. They're going to just throw it like they don't care. And so I just like I just always was like, wow, this is different. Like you just sit there like wow and you just think yeah. about how would this play over in america it wouldn't we'd have to have like our security will be to the next level but it's almost like the security over there it's not very existent i don't know how to explain it but it's like they have they have security sometimes but it's like i don't feel like anyone would save me if anything crazy happened like i feel like once a ball a brawl breaks out it's every man for himself you can forget it yeah andrea pirlo who uh, is a Juventus legend, uh, played midfield for Juventus for a number of years um, and kind of like redefined what a holding midfielder in his 30s could do. His like his son got death threats because of uh, Juventus. Like it's 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 toxic. Like it can be really, really toxic. Like they are they are in the best of times. (laughs) <laughs> the European fans are It was crazy. the best of times. It was the worst of times. Like when uh, there's a famous story on, I believe it was Louis Figo uh, switched from uh, Barcelona to Real Madrid. And then when they were uh, playing a Clasico game, Real Madrid versus Barcelona, the Barca fans cut off a pig's head, brought it into the stadium. And they threw, when he was taking a free kick off the side, they threw the pig's head down in, onto the sideline so that it was just right there next to him. You see, and that's this is this is, <laughs> this is things, things that make you go hmm because, like, how do you get a pig's head in a sporting event? Think about think about that in a, here. Head. You can't get a pig head a pig's head into a sporting event, but there you can, <laughs> and there you can throw it just straight onto the field and make your statement. It's just it's different over it's there. It's different. It's completely different. All right, so it came out last week that ESPN is going to be doing a special Marvel-themed broadcast during the Warriors-Pelicans game at the start of May. Now, as a broadcaster and analyst for the Hawks, I know that a lot of what the networks want to do is capture that younger audience, the Gen Z group, that that group that just loves streaming, digital, everything, but... Jason, like, what do you think about this this idea to cater to the youth, as they say, and and what it'll do to sports broadcasting in general? I think this is a really fascinating idea and movement. I so you know a lot of people were complaining about it on social media, which I get, but I, I think that we're just going to see more of this as uh, platforms attempt to kind of like more accurately target groups within their audience 
so that they can better, you know, like, let's be frank, like serve them advertising and serve them perhaps goods and services that they want. Um, and this makes a lot of sense. Like if you're Disney and you own these two things, we own yeah. uh, ESPN with its partnership with the NBA. We own uh, the MCU, which is the biggest uh, movie franchise and storytelling universe currently going. Why not combine those things and see if we can engage uh, a younger generation of fan, which, you know, frankly, a, a lot of the anxiety in media and entertainment in general is a constant worrying about, oh my God, the Zoomers don't watch TV. What are we going to do? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. this thing is too long. How do we make it short? Like, how do we find them? What if they're just on their phones all the time? What do we do? And so I think this is one of those things, much like the, uh, uh, the NFL SpongeBob. wildcard game that was that was that was Nickelodeon themed, which yeah. listen was a meme fest. I think we're going to see more of this. I think it's kind of smart, even though it, think, it, people may not like it. Listen, I think it's absolutely genius. Um, and just so people can understand, there's going to be characters that are included from Marvel, Iron Man, Black Panther. Okay, what kind of forever? Captain Marvel, Captain America, Black Widow, and Doctor Strange. My guy, Ryan Rucco, is yeah. going to be broadcasting the game along with Richard Jefferson. They'll be the, the analyst for the game that day. They'll be in Marvel-themed studio um, in Bristol, which I think is dope. I mean, imagine like, so by the way, I know Disney owns all of this because I get a check from Disney every time I do something from ESPN and I get hype every time. It's like every time I see that Disney, I'm like, Disney knows me. So I know that this has got to be hype for the broadcast team because it's something different. You know, it's yeah. like it adds flavor. I want to be a part of a set where it's all Marvel themed and there's going to be 3D virtual characters, custom graphics, animation packages. Like the fans are going to be able to follow along as the athlete is like, put to a, a test gaining Marvel hero points. Like, what are we, t I don't even know what that means, I, I, but so it I, sounds lit. Here is a, a quick synopsis so far of what's been reported. During the game, Iron Man and Black Panther will unveil a plan to expand the ranks of the Avengers, uh, and therefore they will need to recruit. Um, and during the game, the Marvel characters will observe players from each team and they will award them Marvel hero points, as you said, based on their achievements. And those that score the highest then will be invited to, I guess, join the Avengers. Oh like, sign me up. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that is like, and, and there's some people like, and I get that there's this whole group of people that it's a purist, aren't into Marvel. The yeah, like aren't into, are, are not even into Marvel, you know? So this isn't as appealing. Like Nickelodeon. We better all have a tie to Nickelodeon at some point. We've all watched people get slimed. It's a household tradition at this point. We know it. We understand it. Marvel's actually a little different. Some people are like, yeah, I'm not into that Marvel DC stuff. Like, you know, some people just are like that. But, and there's also going to be the people that are like, I just want to watch the game. You know, yeah. like there's always that group too. But this is genius. Like if you're a company and you have certain rights to certain things and you own different things, this is what expansion looks like. And a lot of times when things are new, 
everybody just, you know, goes against it. It's new. What is this Marvel stuff? But even as a player, I'm not going to be mad if I had a, an amazing game. And of course, this is a game where I think it's the Warriors are playing the Pelicans. Yeah. So Steph Curry is going to be in the building. I can predict, spoiler alert, he's going to be an Avenger. Like, because he's going to probably, he's had like, <laughs> tw- he had like 20 games where he got 30 points in a row. So he's going to be an Avenger. But imagine that too. Like as Steph Curry, you come out the game, you see all the graphics, the memes, like they've made you an Avenger. Like, I just think full circle is so innovative and it's going to change. It's going to change things because we know that there's this war with streaming and, yes. and basically cable. Like there's a war happening every day that I go call a Hawks game and I say I'm calling a Hawks game. Fans hit me and tell me we can't watch it because it's not able to be streamed. So only yeah. if you're in Atlanta area, you know, it's a whole thing. This is them trying to fight back in that war. Yeah, it's really interesting that uh, uh, when you think about why people end up rooting for a team, uh, you know, the the reasons, if you really get down to it, are very simple and often like pretty dumb. Like I root for the Knicks because I guess, you know, I live in the same, I grew up in the same state. I have a friend who is uh, like a fan of of the Orlando Magic because his they went to Disneyland and his parents got him a hat when he was a kid. So then he just oh, became wow. an Orlando. So there's all these reasons and I could see. And, and so the hope is with these kind of niche casts is that uh, some kid out there who loves Black Panther and loves Iron Man and loves Black Widow will will uh, tune in because, oh, I love these characters. Here's some new content from them because there's not a new, uh, you know, Black Widow movie is not coming out for a little while. Yep. Uh, the Avengers have kind of broken up, at least in the the. Uh, the format that they were during the run of the MCU. So here's a chance to see them again. And by seeing them again during this telecast, all of a sudden they will be a fan of basketball. That can happen. I, I, I think that that is certainly on the table. I think the other interesting thing is if I'm an existing uh, partner with ESPN, am I like, Hey, I paid X amount of dollars to be a partner with you uh, and and have my products during the telecast and now you're breaking away and doing this like niche telecast drawing from my mm-hmm. I, drawing from my audience does that become a point of contention mm-hmm. with some of the existing partners I don't know but I think that whatever the case you can see why this is something that uh I think will continue to happen across sports yeah well you know to that point if if I'm an existing partner and I'm just like thinking out loud I see that, oh, ESPN is doing some Marvel stuff. Well, I'm going to tell them to throw my brand in with their Marvel characters because that instantly gives more value, gives you a new promotion look, gives you a new everything. The good news about Disney is all the things they own are pretty dope. So if you're like, if they were trying to pitch like this new thing that no one's ever heard of, it might be like pushback. But if you're an existing sponsor and you see this, I'm calling them like, I know that my product better be placed with uh, the Black Panther. I want it on his lap. Like, you know, like I'm going to make sure that I have primetime real estate for this niche telecast that they're doing because what they have holds value. And you can see now that they get it and they're trying to connect all of their worlds into one. Another spoiler alert, Zion Williamson will probably be another Avenger. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> He'll be the Hulk or something like that because he just can't oh be stopped. Oh my when gosh, he goes that's to the, perfect. Goes to the rim. 
perfect. They're going to turn him into it. After he dunks midair, he's going to be turning into the hawk. He's going to come down and be huffing and puffing. I mean, I just see so many ways they could go with that. And that's what's really crazy because, like I told you, there's this real struggle to see, to your point, how can we get the people that don't have cable? Um, Hello, I'm one of them. It's me. I don't have cable, but I have Hulu, I and Hulu has live sports. And you know why we know all that? Because of the commercials. And so they're trying to connect all of those little moving parts to see how can we connect the linear, which we have, to the digital, which we don't necessarily have yet. Coming off of that, I got to shout out our uh, ta- former Take Line guest, Trayvon Free, whose yes. film, Two Distant Strangers, Won the Oscar for best short last night yes. during uh, Sunday night's Oscar. Let me just say this to everybody who wants to come on Take Line. The Take Line bump is real. Come on our show. You will win awards. Uh, oh, I love it. Now, uh, my good friend uh, Van Lathan uh, was one of the producers on yep. this. And they formed their production company, uh, Six Feet Over. This is their first movie. And... Their first movie won an Oscar. It's so, ridiculous, Jason. It's like I'm, I, so, I'm just ridiculous. could not be more proud of them to tell that shouts story. To, at- shouts to that whole crew. Yeah, like shouts to that whole crew. Um, just because when he came on here, like you know how when something is a short, you almost get a certain thought in your head, right? It's like, oh, it's just a short. Yeah. You put the word just in front of it. So even when I'm like, oh, it's a short, you know, I'm like, well. I don't know how much storytelling you can do in a short. He told a whole marathon, like they told a marathon of stories in that short film and everything was on tone, was on point. It was just right. So yeah, like uh, I'm just like, I'm ecstatic because first of all, the take line bump is real. So that's (laughs) (laughs) but I'm also hyped because I watched it and I saw his passion and how he talked about how it became a thing. And I mean, even with his COVID stories about filming and it was like everything fell right. And it seems only fitting that that he won. I got to tell the story now. I was at the uh, Netflix threw them a party for the Oscars, right? The the production uh, company. Trayvon, of course, was at the actual uh, event. But Van and and a lot of the other people that were involved in it uh, were at this uh, restaurant in West Hollywood. Uh, I I was lucky enough to be be there. So they the DJ gets on. and I should add, Jesse Williams of uh, Grey's Anatomy and many other things. He is a producer on the film. He was there as well. Um, and right before, I would say about 10 minutes before the award was coming up, the DJ got on and, t- and said, hey, if you want to get your drinks, get them now so we can toast because our category is coming up. And, and if we win, we're all going to toast. Okay. So and that's happening. The category comes up. I'm standing next to Van. I got my phone up. I'm ready to, to, to put it on him when he's going to celebrate. And I should have thought about it because, listen, I'm not a huge guy. I'm a, I'm a smaller guy, right? Everybody's around. I'm next to Van who people are going to be, like, crowding around when they win. And I should have thought about it, right? I should have been like, <laughs> I need to get out of this space. So as soon as they announce Two Distant Strangers wins the Oscar – I go to swing my camera to Van, and I just get absolutely run over by, <laughs> rushed out to by Grey's Anatomy's Jesse Williams, who, oh, wow. fr- like, trucks me. Not that he knew. Like, literally, it was like if uh, if 
if you bumped into a fly, you wouldn't even know because you had no idea it happened. I get Jesus. knocked down. My drink spills everywhere. And the thing that flashed through my mind was, oh, my God, Jesse Williams smells so good. Oh when he hit me, he smells like sandalwood what? and like and like and like exotic incense. And like and like that was like, the OK, first, I have the video. I posted the video on Twitter last night of like uh, of the whole celebration with like Van going up to the screen and coming back and people patting him on the back. I cut out. The 15 seconds before that, where you can literally see me fly across the room oh as I am run over by Grey's Anatomy's <laughs> Jesse Williams, who like put a left tire tracks on my fucking back. It was my fault. I should have got out of there. I should have known that it was about to happen. I love that it you are taking so responsibility funny. for being. It was my fault. Trampled. My fault. I love that you're taking responsibility for being trampled. I, you know. Jesse Williams looks exactly like you said he would. He smelled. So I don't know if anyone will be shocked to hear that he smells like an array of incense and exotic things because he's an exotic looking guy. But it's nice to know that he smells like he looks. I mean, that's and I'm just side note. Look at you at the party. OK, like, OK, Jason Concepcion at the party. OK, it was. It's an amazing experience to be there when somebody that you know, who you know has put their heart into something, and not just their yeah. heart, but like put their own personal money up to make this happen before any Netflix deal, before anything seemed like it could happen. They put their own money up to make this happen. And to see uh, them win like that, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing to just be a foot away from it on the ground. <laughs> watching it from my back it just was like truly amazing i'm so happy for them and they deserve it shouts to trayvon shouts to van shouts to everybody shouts to jesse williams shouts to kd mike conley everybody involved in the production of that movie shouts to joey badass everybody it was great uh coming up next we're going to talk about the eastern conference we're going to talk about our the top five teams in the eastern conference and guess what if you're a team isn't one of those five, then too bad. Just be better, like the Knicks and the Hawks. <laughs> On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. ba da ba 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 Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. We gave love to the Western Conference a couple shows ago, but Renee, the East, uh... The East is on fire right now. The East is a f is is fun right now. My Knicks. Yep. Who would have guessed 
one nine straight. Your Hawks just beat the brakes off the Bucks. This is coming off the a win over the Heat. Uh, they've won seven of their last ten. Nate McMillan uh, really uh, playing some dividends now. So let's break down how we see the East playing out with the uh, looming eye of Soar on the Brooklyn Nets still trying to find its focus. Playoffs coming. What do you think? Let's start with the Nets. 41 and 20, 6 and 4 in their last 10, 12 and 1 at home since the All Star break. And they haven't even had their big three together for any amount of time. I think all three of them only played like seven games. Yeah, and it just it gets scarier by the game for Brooklyn. I mean, I think that everyone kind of understands there's a race going on, and then there's Brooklyn. Like, there's like this yeah. whole race in the East happening, and we all have a fair shot at it, as you just talked about. Our team knocked off the Bucks, which is like the, you know, we all have a shot at certain places, but it's like Brooklyn is looking very scary. They are looking like the Monstars. And to yeah. your point, they haven't even had all their people together and it's they're winning handedly. And the, everything that people said they wouldn't be able to do, oh, is there enough balls? Oh, who's going to pass up? They just blew, like they are functioning as a team. And it looks like, everything that everyone was saying was their motivation. So they're almost the opposite of what people tried to portray them to be. So, you know, defense was such a topic of conversation with them. Who's going to defend? Where are the defenders? Yep. Uh, uh, you know, defense is still kind of an issue. They're at the bottom third of the league, about 26th, uh, according to dunksandthrees.com, like one, giving up about 114 points per possession. But like offensively, they're scoring 118 points per uh, per 100 possessions. They are just killing people. And again, that's with their core three not really playing together. KD uh, came off the bench the other night to score 33 points in 28 minutes versus the Suns. It's like, and he looks like, it's the same thing when he came back from the Achilles. He looks like he's missed no time. He missed it. it, it he gets to where whatever spot he wants. He gets whatever shot he wants. He's driving with aggression. Uh, it's really scary considering that James Harden hasn't even been near the court in coming up on a month now. Yeah, and the only thing that if you wanted something to try to find to speculate, if you were looking for anything, James Harden might not be ready for round one of the playoffs, and he's been out since April 5th. The only right. thing that could maybe not work well is – when you try to infuse someone in a situation, if things are already rolling, you already have a rhythm. Like right. we said, he's been out for a while. Right. Like they figuring that out. Sometimes chemistry takes time, but it seems like all of those guys have just they they want to prove everyone wrong on all aspects, and it shows. And so, I mean, let's move on to number two, the 76ers. What are your thoughts on them? Five and five in the last ten games. They've lost four straight to Golden State, um, Phoenix, Milwaukee twice. What are your thoughts? Um, this is a defensive juggernaut, a team that is really just going to uh, lock you up in a serious way. They're about third in the league. Let's just call them one of the best defensive teams in the league, yep. giving up about 108 points uh, per 100. But I think the question with them is, when you look at the Nets, just coming off the Nets, do they have do they have the firepower, right? Embiid is the star He's the guy you can throw it to. Uh, ben Simmons has, like, frankly struggled on offense, like, uh, over the course of the season. And 
and recently uh, in a more pointed fashion, but he's, of course, like one of the most sturdy defenders we have in the league. I I, th- I like the 76 a lot. They're a lot of, they're a fun team. I just don't think that they have, and it's going to be a great conference finals if it's 76ers nets. But that would be, I don't know, like a five, six game series. I think the Nets. Yeah, and it would all, it would it, literally it, it, be that that matchup would literally be offense versus defense. Like in a yes. sense of what is your team's strengths? Well, the Nets, we know that it's pretty hard to outscore them. They have 118 a game, as you talked about. And then the 76ers, where some people even think that Ben Simmons should be a candidate for defensive player of the year. Like he's his defense has been that good this year that yes. he's getting some consideration. So I think with that with that matchup, it'll be, you know, 76ers are going to play defense. Can they score enough? You know, yeah. you talk about that, it with I mean, a Ben that's Simmons. Really, that's uh, the thing. I mean, yeah, with a Ben Simmons where you you said it, he he struggled some this season. So you need to get some type of contribution from the defenders basically like, yes, we need you to defend, but we actually, we actually need you to do a little bit more on the scoring end as well. So that'll be, that'll be, you know, one of the things. One more thing with Philly is they play, uh, they play one of the faster paces in the league, about 10th in pace, top third in the league in pace. And that's because Ben Simmons, when he is going to score, he thrives in that open court. Yep. If you're going to play the nets in a conference finals, you got to take the air out of the ball. You cannot, You don't want to get into a situation where you've got a lot of possessions against the Nets because the Nets can kill you. You never want to shoot out. You don't want to shoot out with shooters. What? (laughs) So will that will will they be able to adjust their game in that regard? Will they slow it down? Will they grind it out against the Nets? That'll be interesting to see. Maybe they extend it a little bit, but I just don't see them having the firepower. Uh, Next up. Ooh, the Milwaukee Bucks, who your oh, Hawks beat the yeah, brakes off of. Talk about Let's it. Talk about go. that game. All right, so they're kind of the same as the 76ers. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games. Uh, against the 76ers, their bench scored 76. This is not a mistake. I'm saying 76 points versus Philly on Saturday. The reason their bench got to score so much is because Giannis and them, they were whooping them so bad that Giannis took, they had a back-to-back. They played us the next night. So they were like, yeah, Giannis, rest. He already had 38 or something, by the way. But it was pretty wild to see how the Bucs handled the 76ers. And we just talked about the Bucs, as you can see there. First in scoring, 119 points. Like, they're they're off the charts on some of the stuff. Three-point field goal percentage. They're second with 39%. So then we had to play them, of course. You know, they're feeling good. They're coming off of a whooping. And what do we hold their bench to? 15 points, okay? I just want you to know that the bench went from 76 to 15 points. We ended up scoring seven straight threes in the fourth quarter to kind of take the lead and handle the game. But it was a close game the whole time, pretty much. And what I want to say about what's so crazy about this Bucks win is we didn't have Trey Young. So I want like that's huge. look that's like a big deal. Big yeah, deal. that's a really big deal for a team that our biggest criticism was all we have is Trey Young. Like for a lot of times people would describe the Atlanta Hawks as well. I mean, they got Trey. I don't know about anything else. I don't think that they can make the playoffs. I don't think they can be anything. I mean, we talked about it on this show. In the beginning of the season where people mm-hmm. were like, I don't even think they could make the playoffs. We're sitting at number five and we just beat the number three Bucks. And to me, the Bucks, it's it's difficult because you can tell that they surrounded Giannis with shooters, 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 because yep. he's not necessarily a long distance shooter. But I think if you're MVP on your team and he's getting MVP consideration, 
if there's a glaring weakness and we know that Giannis in the three-point line, there's that weakness. To me, I just I just can't trust it in the playoffs because as we've seen time and time again, teams are going to lock in on what you aren't good at and they're going yep. to expose it. And so when we talk about playoffs and we're talking about these rankings, I know the Bucks are sitting at number three, but it's tough for me. I I almost go the opposite way. I think that they might be a little underrated. Now, this is why, okay? They have been shaky as evidenced by the beating that your Hawks put on them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the criticism against Mike Budenholzer in the past has been that he's a system guy, he sticks to his system, and he can't change. They are trying... Their numbers, listen, the defensive numbers are down. They're not the, their advanced numbers are down from the previous season. And I think that's a function of the fact that Budenholzer is attempting to change. They brought in uh, PJ Tucker to kind of yep. add some switching ability, which they had not wanted to do previously. They're throwing in a little bit of zone to try and uh, disrupt opponents when they start getting into a group, which is a thing they did not want to do. Now, what is the cost of trying to bring in new strategy, new plays, new new calls, new defensive schemes in the middle of a season that is shortened and compressed by COVID? You're gonna get a you're gonna get a lot of variance, right? You're, the team yep. is gonna struggle one night and it's gonna look great the other night, and I think we're seeing that. All of which is to say, Drew Holiday, Giannis, Chris Middleton, those three together. That's a good core. If the rest of the stuff, these new schemes can kind of gel in time for the playoffs, I think their ceiling is maybe higher than their record and their current seating says they are. I think they can, could they beat the Nets? I don't think so, but I think they could be a conference finals team. Like if they figure all of this stuff out. I mean, but... They can't really be underrated if their their ranking That's is true. three. Like you know, their ranking is three. It, that means that there's only one team that you believe can actually beat them, and that's that's the Nets. Like you you know, like you saying they're going to give them a run for their money. Well, they're number three. They can only go to number two. So I don't know. Like if they make the conference finals, it's almost not a shock. You're number three. You're sitting at number three. You should be there or the number two team, or else somebody got upset. So I mean, they're projected at number three, but the way it's looking to me. I think that if I'm the number three team, I'm the number two team, I'm the number one team, I'm going to handle our first round opponent because that's the like those are the biggest mismatches you can get in the seating. So if they don't make it at least second, you know, like they you yeah. have to make it past the you know. So for them, I don't really know what would be a, a almost a under like a window beating the Nets. So you think they can beat the Nets then? Because that's the only thing that would be like shocking well, I'll put it, at I, a number I'll three. I'll put it this way. The Bucks in the past, the thing that's been uh, scary about them, if you're a Bucks fan, is that they've struggled in the early rounds. It's not like, yeah. you know, they go deep, but they, but it's still like, why, why are you uh, taking seven games to, to win a, a first round series? I think if the Bucks get their, Managed to really coalesce around these new schemes that they're trying to add in. Uh, I think you think they, they can get beat, out of the first I think round. That they, I think they should beat the Celtics handily. You know, like that's okay, they're slated so, yeah. against the Celtics right now. I think they should beat the Celtics in five, six games. Like, but that's that's not handily to me. I mean, in a seven game series and you beat somebody in six games. I mean, that's not. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Like, the Bucks have almost underachieved in these past years. So you want to give them a reward if they beat a first round opponent when they're always like they've been top ranked seeds every time you should get you should beat these teams. 
I know, but they haven't. They've been beating them, but not beaten. They've been taking seven games to beat them. I think that they. I think that they have a higher ceiling. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I think okay. So they, let's talk about possibly... your Knicks then, because I know you think Wait, their ceiling this is. This must be a mistake. Wait, where are we talking about them at the four? Why <laughs> we're is that? talking oh about the God, number they are four. The four. The ceilings, okay, so we're talking about the number four, nine and one in the last 10 game Knicks, who, like, they, y'all, y'all beat us, and I, we got swept by the Knicks, and in any other year, that might feel uncomfortable to say, and, and this year, there's a lot of people getting beat by the Knicks, so, Jason, like, how does that feel, I mean, you got the Knicks colors on, how does that feel for you right now, being the it, number it, four? It's unreal, and what's really unreal about it is that <laughs> it feels very earned. Like, yeah. if, if, if you've been watching this team, and particularly over the last, say, two, two months, post-All-Star game is where uh, their schedule just went up in terms of difficulty, and they've handled that. And they've handled it because uh, they've really stayed uh, – committed to these defensive principles that Thibs has put in. They are long. They can test. Uh, they are using a, a kind of variation of the of the defense that Thibs put in in uh, Chicago, which is we're just going to wall off the paint, and then if you beat us, there's a seven-foot guy there with a, like a big arm that's going to uh, block yeah. you at the rim, and then we're going to try and uh, run you off the three-point line selectively, use our strength and use our length. And it's been working. And the other thing they're doing is uh, understanding that they are offensively limited. You know, Julius Randle makes them go. R.J. Barrett has really come on as a secondary yeah, scorer, but he's still, he's still up and down. Uh, they're getting good minutes out of Alex Burks and out of uh, Reggie Bullock, but they're, still, but they're offensively limited. The thing they're doing is they are – they are playing at the slowest pace in the league on both sides of the ball. Yeah. They will make you work to find that shot on offense. And on uh, and when they have the ball, they are going to take their time, take their time, take their time to find the right mismatch, to find the right shot. Those things together, a commitment to, uh, to really trying hard on defense um, and – playing at a absolutely dead, bone-crushingly slow pace has the Knicks uh, in home court slotted to, to start the playoffs with home court. They are a, a really stout and surprising team. I can't I can't believe it. It's something to behold. I, like, look, I watched it live. I watched all these games that against the Hawks live and just how they handled us. It was, you like, they're legit. It's almost like when teams haven't been good for a while, you got to like see it not once, yeah. not twice, like so many times to believe it. And as I was just sitting watching that game, the Knicks are legit. Like it's not a fluke. How they play is not like, oh, are they going to cool off? I will admit that you guys shot like 60% against us from the three. That was the wildest thing I had seen. Yeah, I was waiting. I was like. like yeah, I had seen, like, in the first half, I'm like, no one shoots that high, so they're going to cool <laughs> off. And then the second half, Julius Randle had, like, seven threes the first time we played you guys. It was ridiculous. Like, but that may cool down. What they're doing is is what's killing, and it's, they have they understand their strengths and weaknesses, and they almost, they, they almost cater to it. And let's move on to number five, the Hawks. Oh. Okay, somebody. I love that we're sitting, like, right together in a position where no one thought we would be. I think a lot That's of people great. thought... That four and five position would not be us. They probably thought of Boston Celtics and Miami Heat, who went to the finals yeah. last year. I'm sure they thought everything, like we would be sitting down there 9, 10, 11. The 
The Hawks are right now at number five, seven and three in the last 10 games. I mean, since March, the Hawks are 20 and seven. We've been without Trey. We've been without our main Janes for a while in a sense of Trey Young has a great two lateral sprain to his ankle. He hasn't been there for the past two or three games. John Collins missed a gang of games for his ankle as well. We haven't had him for a lot of games. Clint Capello fell straight on his back. We missed him for a couple. The reason I say that is because those are our top three rebounders, scorers, assisters, and we haven't had them for a lot of that 20 to seven run. Just pretty wild. We haven't had DeAndre Hunter since he hurt his knee, yes. it's it's yeah. so crazy because we have talented players that Chris Dunn, everybody's talked about him as our defensive stopper. He hasn't played all year, yeah. you know? And so it's, we have pieces that just haven't even been able to play. Danilo Gallinari missed like 10 plus games. Bogey missed 10 plus games and yeah. we're still sitting here. So, I mean, for me, I, I just think it's exciting. The team understands yeah. that no one expects them to be here and I, I think for both of us, let's just enjoy it, Jason, because I know yeah. that lo- people love to tell us how bad we are. But right now, we're not so bad. Uh, top 10 offense. Defense is much better than people think about the middle of the league. Yep. And the other and the other thing is, you know, uh, I, I had some questions about the Lloyd Pierce firing. I wasn't sure about it, but I have to say Nate McMillan has come in and he is they're calling a lot more plays. Um, but I think the thing the, the the good side of the thing that you're talking about with like players coming in and out missing Trey for a lot of these games is that um, the team has the space and the kind of like lowered expectations to allow them to like buy into this um, different kind of structured play and and it's paying dividends. And I think, uh, listen, you uh, something that you talk about on the Hawks telecast that the team could potentially be a lot stronger yep. because they're doing this without Trey. Now you add Trey back into this. Um, and it's scary. Yeah. We beat the Bucks, fully loaded team. Giannis played. What, what I mean by that is Giannis played. Chris Middleton played. You know, all their heavy hitters played. We just beat them. And that was that was without Trey Young. People that people have to take notice of that. And if we're beating a solid number three team, to your point, that you think has a high ceiling without Trey Young, I'm not saying that we're going to win a championship. I'm just saying we're a team that you probably don't want to play in the playoffs. Yeah. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Never! Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide.
Our guest today is a boss in every way. I mean, from decades of leadership as an executive across public and private sectors to accelerating the growth of the WNBA as a former president. Now, she has a new podcast called Enlighten, where she highlights stories of inspiration and overcoming adversity. But check it out wherever you get your podcast. I highly recommend Lisa Borders. Welcome to Take Line. Oh, so great to be here, Renee. What's good? What's good? What's good? What's up? <laughs> this is so awesome. Me and Jason were excited to have you. So I'm just going to, I just want to start even just in the beginning because we just had an awesome WNBA draft for this upcoming season. And you could just tell that there was, there's momentum and it's growing and it's the league's 25th anniversary. So I wanted to ask you because you helped build this legacy and what was some of the changes? Like while you were a president, what were some of the things that you were proud to have accomplished while you were there? You know what, Renee, the W is such a special league and you obviously were part of it. We met when you were playing in Minnesota. You were balling, balling all the time. But listen, you and your sisters in the league just made me so proud all the time. The way you stood up, not only for your teammates, but for your community mates. So I walked into an environment where you guys were already rolling but I don't think you understood just how much you were rolling. Mm. So one of the things I'm really super proud of is how in 2016, when things got a little out of control in the community, y'all like stepped up and said, hold up, wait a minute, it's not going down like this. So it wasn't that basketball is all you do. That's what you did professionally, but that wasn't who you were. Your lives had many more dimensions to it. So I'm super proud of the legacy that I walked into, the way you all were carrying that torch. And today that is still happening in the W. Wait, now on the business side, let me answer yeah. that question. Let, Be- let's, let's get some business yeah. side of things oh, going. Let, <laughs> the, the league, if you recall in 2016, when I stepped in, was actually not doing that well as a business. So attendance had sort of flatlined and it was spiraling down. We didn't really have new partners that we could count on. There were folks like ESPN who had been at the table from the beginning, but we didn't have any other distribution channels. We didn't have a lot of support from what I would call corporate America. And then several of the teams were in their markets that they'd always been in, but people were like a little shaky, like we're not Mm. sure we're going to stick with it, right? Definitely. I remember that time. It was, it was an interesting time for any business when you're trying to grow the business, scale it, make sure that people are embracing it. So let me take you to one team. If you remember San Antonio, we moved that team yep. from San Antonio to Las Vegas. Yep. And I count that as one of our greatest accomplishments. Number one, we say 12 women's jobs. Mm. Can somebody say amen? Let's amen. just amen. Okay, let's get it. <laughs> let's just start there. But hey, Las Vegas was becoming a sports town and the W was a big set of points to to put up on the board. But let's talk about the the streaming contract we did with Twitter or the new deal that was done with FanDuel or NBA Live. All that happened. The merchandise numbers were going through the roof by the time I left. So that was thanks to the work that y'all did on the court. I just had the biggest megaphone serving as standing out on the street corner telling everybody, let's 
Look at what's happening at the W. Yeah. The W is, has really been at the forefront of conversations around social justice, uh, voting rights, et cetera. Um, you just talked about um, the business evolution of the league. How did you see those two things evolving together? How did you marry those two kind of uh, it, it, those two forces together to, to help grow the league to where it is at, at its current state? Yeah, Jason, that's a great question. So let me start with the league was 20 years old when I came in in 2016. It's 25 years old to set to during this season, right? Mm -hmm. So 25 years is actually a generation. So it was shy of a generation at 20. 20 is a really long time to quote unquote be in business. 25 mm -hmm. is even better. So the way I thought about it was the league was almost in its adolescence if you will, and it was growing up. So the way I thought about it is we grow the league and you need partners alongside you, community partners, corporate partners, media partners, to hold hands and grow simultaneously. And it's there's a value proposition for both sides of that. So the way I thought about it was through partnerships that Things that were good for the W, we wanted them to be good for the community mm. and good for our media partners as well. So when people were talking about a triple bottom line, we were talking about win, win, win for every partner, making sure no one was taking advantage of anyone. It was all inextricably linked and it worked for everybody. No, I love that. And that made me think yeah. of, so with SB202 going on here in Atlanta, that made me think of how the MLB couldn't marry the movement that the players, so you're talking about, you know, making it all one thing. They couldn't marry together the idea that the players want to have voices now. The players are speaking up about things. And then Atlanta lost the All-Star game. But what do you think, a lot of times now, it's almost you can't separate the two. So yeah. what other steps, like, you know, because even us here in Atlanta, we're trying to build business and, and get that corporate sponsorship behind us because people can say till they're blue in the face we support you but are you supporting us with dollars are you supporting us with resources and so how do you get from that we support you you had the megaphone you were telling them about us but how do you convert the we support you to actual equitable dollars and to make it that win-win you're talking about yeah yeah that's a fantastic question. question renee for sure so when i look at what mlb did you know i wanted that game to stay here. We wanted them to stay and fight, okay? We didn't want MLB to leave. Let's be clear, we had economic loss. When they pulled the game, everybody from the ticket takers to the Uber drivers to the restaurant, I mean, everybody was economically impacted. Yes, the crazy laws that folks are trying to pass, let's just be clear, our Republican governor and legislature, they are very short-sighted, but we know there's a whole nother agenda there. Put a pin in that because we'll come back yes. and talk about it. Okay, okay. <laughs> but the corporate people, listen, when all the community stuff was happening last year in 2020, starting most notably with the George Floyd murder, Everybody was stepping out in corporate America saying, we're with you, we're with you. Yeah. We're all about uh, not just diversity and inclusion. We're saying Black Lives Matter. We, we agree with you. It is one thing to say it. It is quite mm. another to act on yes. what you're believing. So as I told a corporate CEO just recently, listen, you need to be clear that your audio needs to match your video. Okay? Mm. 
what you say and how you behave as a, not just as an individual, but as a corporate entity, those two things need to be aligned or you gonna run into a buzzsaw with the athletes, with the community residents and with everybody. So I think the athletes have to continue to speak up and challenge, and I mean this in the most positive way, challenge these corporate leaders and corporations to have their audio match their video. And that's not just pulling something out Mm. of a city, that's standing alongside, much like I talked about the partnerships for the W in 2016, 2017, 2018, Twitter was standing alongside the W. FanDuel was standing alongside the W and they still stand there today. So rather than have like episodic in and out, like we with you today, we not with you, like, what is that? Like, that's not a partnership. So I think the challenges have to come even more sharply from the players and from the community, frankly. If the corporate people Mm. say that they are aligned partners, they need to demonstrate that through their behavior, period, full stop. Love it. Wow. Hearing you you say that, um, I, I can't help but think about the kind of different goals that a lot of these, uh, the groups involved in these partnerships would have, you know, MLB will have a different goal than Coca-Cola will have a different goal than the players and the players union will have a different goal, maybe than the owners of the teams. And that goes for the W, the NBA, whatever sports league you have, uh, in your role, how did you manage to kind of like balance those competing goals to create incentives that, as you say, hopefully, uh, make make it so that everybody's a winner in a given situation like how do you because you know nobody does anything out of the out of the goodness of their hearts right they can anybody can make the statement and say this is bad we're against this but how do you uh, really create the situation where uh it's a plus for them to do something more and balance that with the with the needs and goals of the other people involved in this Yeah, Jason, that's an interesting question. Let me push back on the premise a little bit. You said all the goals are different. No, the goals are all the same. Everybody is trying to grow their business, whether it's the W, whether Mm -hmm. it's ESPN, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's whomever, Marriott. Everybody is trying to grow their business. So Marriott's trying to book more rooms. The W is trying to sell more Mm. tickets to watch. Coca-Cola is trying to sell Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola. Let's be clear. Everybody is The goal is the same. They are all business goals to grow the damn business, okay? So when I was talking to corporate people, it's like, let's be clear. You want to sell Pepsi, Coke, whatever we're talking about in the arena. You want the arena full, right? That is not dissimilar from the Renee when she was playing, saying, I want this arena full so people will cheer and it's loud. And as I'm on point... And I'm threading the needle that people get really excited about that. Renee wants butts in seats, right? All the players want butts in seats. The owners want butts in seats. Coca-Cola wants butts in seats. Those goals are all completely aligned. What the challenge has been, Jason, I think, there hasn't always been belief in women's sports. There just hasn't, let's be Mm. clear. But also let's be clear about the facts. The W is 25 years old today, or this season, I should say. The NBA is 75 years old. That is 
three generations. So they've had 50 more years or two more generations to build that fan base, to train that fan base, to demonstrate value to all the media partners. So when people compare the W and the NBA, I'm like, listen, it starts and begins, ends with basketball. We are all playing the same sport. The women, frankly, play it more collaboratively. I'm over in Renee's X's and O's now. But Come I'm, on just, now. <laughs> I'm just telling you, right? We're not just standing out on the perimeter at the three-point hash mark and shooting. We are taking the ball all around the horn and giving it to the person that has the best shot. Renee was reading the court. She figured out who that was, passed the ball. They shoot it, okay? <laughs> we have to do the same thing with our partners Who's the best partner to go around? The, who's going to build their business alongside the W? And who can take the best shot? You don't just want any partner. You want a partner who believes in the W, not just the game, the women who are playing the game and what they're trying to demonstrate. Basketball, particularly the way the women play it in the W, that's a metaphor for life. Let's just be clear. I so like that. It takes people who really understand it. Renee, you and I both know that. Yeah, no, I like that. And so we can just literally hear all of the knowledge on the business yeah. side that you just have oozing out of you. So it's no shock why Adam Silver plucked you out of where you were, extracted you to the WNBA. Can you just tell us about that story? Because <laughs> I actually heard it's a pretty cool story. <laughs> oh, Renee, that's so funny. So thank you for the question. Adam is such a cool dude. You know, that's a bad boy. I tell you, that's a, he's the best commissioner. He's my friend, but he's a bad boy. So he and I both graduated from Duke. And we both were invited to be trustees at the university in 2015. So we came in in the same class of trustees. And that first year, I think it was the Christmas meeting. So it's like in December, right? They had all the new trustees at dinner sitting at this one. It's like being at the little kids table, right? <laughs> Except for, it, it, I, I'm just going to say, it was so much fun because it was the president's table, right? But the president of Duke, you're like, oh my God, this is like being in the principal's office, right? You got <laughs> you to like behave. But Adam and I are sitting there and we're side by side. And the president had to keep getting up, Jason, because he's like introducing people and there's like singing and there's all yeah. this stuff going on. So Adam and I, Renee, were left to our own devices, right? We're like uh -huh. sitting there like two little kids. This is our first meeting at Christmas time. And we're talking back and forth. And Adam says something to me about Coca-Cola. The Coca-Cola company is where I was working. Well, Coke had just lost the contract with the NBA and the W, and they had started with Pepsi. So he's giving me a hard time about the Coca-Cola <laughs> company, right? He's like talking trash. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not going down like that. What the hell? Why are you talking about my company? I said, I tell you what, what are you doing with the W? Yeah, Renee, I flipped the script. It's like, this, I is, like a that. this is a transition play. Watch yeah. this. <laughs> So he says, what do you mean? I said, well, you don't have a president. Your attendance is in the tank. Nobody's paying attention. Your players don't look happy. What time is it at the W? He was mm. like, no, you won't. You will Ooh. not. <laughs> 
So I said, okay, Adam. He starts answering questions. All of a sudden, he gets kind of serious, Renee. And he says, well, why do you think you know so much? I was like, because I'm the number one fan. Help bring the team to Atlanta, 2008. I believe. You got to believe in this league. You got to believe in these women. So he pulls out his business card and says, well, since you got so much to say, why don't you come and help? I'm like... (laughs) What just happened? Renee, he flipped it on me. He flipped. I was like, okay, wait a minute. So this is on a Saturday night. We leave the school. We go back to our respective cities after the meeting. Monday morning comes. I'm supposed to call him. He has told me to call him. Renee, can I tell you, I forgot. I swear to oh, God. Oh, no. I forgot. I know you lying. I got the commissioner's card from the NBA, and I forgot to call. But wow. let me... Let me I tell love you. it. <laughs> I love it's a power. It's a power play by you. Make him. You no, know, I him. wish I could say I planned it, Jason. It wasn't like that. <laughs> but here's what happened. Adam called me at eleven o'clock. I'll never forget it on that Monday morning, mm. and I was like, "Oh, Adam, I'm so sorry. I forgot to call you back." And he was like, "It's all good. We have a conversation." Can I tell you, Renee, that boy called me every day until I said yes, that I would come to the W. I got to say, Jason, you talk about a power move. I was like, this boy is some kind of serious. So wait, how many days did it take for him to call you? I just, I'm just curious. Like how many days until, (laughs) how many days until you said yes? I think it was four. It was like that week. (laughs) But you know what? That's actually a lot. I know I wasn't trying to play hard to get, but let me give you some context. So I'm at the Coca-Cola company and Renee, my my maternal grandfather worked there from 1929 to 1959 as a chauffeur for one of the first presidents of the Coca-Cola company. My grandmother, his wife, worked there for 15 years as a maid. So our family had 45 years of service to the Coca-Cola company. And those jobs enabled my maternal grandparents to send my mother and her sister to college. They were first generation Mm. college graduates because of the Coca-Cola company. Now, I, at this time, had the privilege of being the chair of the Global Foundation. So we had moved from the chauffeur seat to the executive suite in two generations. Right? Oh, now say that again. We moved from where? From the chauffeur seat to the executive suite Woo! in two okay. generations. Right? Okay, yes. <laughs> so what what I felt was a little bit of heartburn leaving the Coca-Cola mm. company because it yeah. had been so good to my family. Yeah. And let's face it, I had a fantastic, fantastic job. But what I saw in the W was an opportunity to be even more impactful, Renee, with Mm -hmm. women, primarily Black women. Let's be clear, 75 Mm -hmm. to 80% of the women are Black and brown women. So I'm thinking we're doing fantastic work here at the Coca-Cola Company. All good. But here's where I can get like my hands in everything, right? And really get to spend time with these women listen to them, understand what their goals are, take the lead to a whole nother level. And let me just be clear, 
Adam Silva is one hell of a salesman, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. I am not surprised. That's crazy. So just quick question. Would you want to get back in that sports world? It sounds like, you know, like sports is is a different beast. Once you've tasted it, you always want to kind of come back to it. So do you want to ever come back to sports in any type of role? I mean, just do you have an affinity for sports and being around it? Short answer, yes. I love it. To your point, when you just put your toe in the water, like yeah. the water feels good. You're like, oh, I need yeah. to swim in this. I need to get neck deep in this. Yeah. So absolutely. I've had the privilege of doing a little bit of work for the Olympic Committee. Okay. So, but And of course, you know, the, the W is the source of the talent for the men yeah. and the women for the Olympic teams. So having experienced it, at the professional level, a little bit of the Olympics. And they're, come on, I graduated from Duke. Like, we know how to spell basketball. We know how to play sports. We know how to win championships. Shouts to Kara Lawson. That's y'all's coach over there at Duke. Shouts to K-Law. Played with her a lot of years, so that's the homie, so. Oh, she's a bad girl. She's a bad girl. Amen to that. So the short answer, Renee, is yes. I love sports. What I recognize is it's one of two international languages. You don't have to speak a word of any language to appreciate a sport or appreciate a sporting event. The other one is music. So between music and sports, it doesn't get any better than that. So if someone said to me, we have a magical opportunity, Renee, I have to say, tell me what you got. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Finally, uh, you have a podcast called Enlightened. Tell us about that podcast. Yeah, Jason, thank you for the question. So Enlightened is really about insights that people gain after they go through an experience. Oftentimes that is adversity because we often learn more from tough times than we do from celebrations. Typically when we achieve something great, we're like jumping up and down and doing a Snoopy dance. Renee can tell you when she won her W championships, they were like popping corks in the locker room, turned (laughs) it up, way up. But you remember the party. But when you go through something that is painful, it becomes oftentimes purposeful because it teaches you something if you're willing to stop and take a breath and learn from it. So what I am finding, Jason, in talking to friends, family, folks that I admire up close and from afar, is that every one of us has got a story and everybody's got some adversity that they've overcome. Sometimes they've taken it for granted. Other times, in the case of athletes, Renee, you know if it's a torn ACL or it's something big where you had to have a surgery and you had to rehab. and You do not forget that. Okay, you absolutely do not forget that. And you figure out so many lessons along the way. So we are trying to share those, Jason, with folks. Take an opportunity to download the universe and say, I went through this. This is what I learned. Whatever you're facing, you too can overcome that. Use these lessons or lessons from some of our other guests and let's make it to the other side and be your best self when you come through on the other side. Be your best self. Look, what I take, what enlightened me from this conversation is chauffeur seat to executive suite. I'm sorry. I loved everything about that. Lisa Borders, it was a pleasure having you on Take Line. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Love you guys. Thank you so much. 
Now it's time for our buzzer beers, where we get to the stories that we couldn't cover in the show uh, because of time or just things that we want to talk about. Renee, what do you have? Oh, man, you know, I have an eventful couple weeks, but leading up to, I call it the fun part now because it's been all business, business, business leading up to this, but we're getting to the on the court stuff. Got a game coming up this weekend. Scrimmage, of course, the season starts May 14th, but it's exciting to just actually, we've been doing all the boring business side of things. Let's get to the game. So that's coming up this week for us. That's my buzzer beater because that's what my whole world is revolving around right now. What about you, Jason? What you got? Well, I got to shout out my guy, uh, Jonathan Charks, my former colleague at The Ringer. He's just been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I just wanted to send out my, uh, you know, my thoughts and my prayers and all the best kind of energy to Jonathan and his family as they go through this. Uh, Shouts to Jonathan. Really one of just the kindest guys that uh, I've met in this business. Just like a wonderfully um, thoughtful, smart man, very religious uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm just wishing him and his family the best. Prayers up for, for him and his family, for sure. And that's it for us. Please follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget Yerp. to subscribe to the Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Yes, sir. Ron Funches this week. Check it out. Goodbye. Let's go. Boop, boop, boop. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch body plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.